Welcome to the Northeastern Next podcast, your channel for the latest alumni stories in Boston and beyond. In this show, we'll catch up with Northeastern alumni who are out there achieving what's next. fiction has always been popular, but author Brian Shea has literally been at the scene of the crime. After a law enforcement career as a detective, Brian writes what he knows and has a brand new crime thriller series out now. Hi, Brian. Welcome to the Northeastern Next podcast. Hi, Megan. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to tell your story a little bit today. I would say, in general, crime fiction genre is extremely popular right now with books and TV series and even podcasts that people are into. And you have a unique perspective of having worked in the field as a police officer and detective for most of your career. But now you can add to the list of author of these crime fiction books. So let's start off and tell me what inspired you to become an author. Uh, so it's kind of uh, it's like a long journey. It took me over like probably 20 years to hit this point. But the idea came to me when I was overseas with the military. The drive to actually put pen to paper came because a few years ago, I was on a daddy-daughter vacation with my oldest, and we were sitting poolside in Florida at my mom's place and um, always have told stories. And we were just kicking around an idea for like a dystopian youth novel and had this idea for a bank robbery story. And and she she was adamant that I write it. And I, I kept saying, yeah, I'll write it. I'll write it. And then she, she made me cause she doesn't live with me full time. So we were separating for like, I wouldn't see her again for two months. She made me promise that I would write it. And so on the flight home, I wrote the first 5,000 words, which became the first book in the series. And then I finished the really rough. And when I say really rough, it was super rough manuscript before I saw her again, uh, like three days before she got home to us, I, I, so two months I had written that, for, and then it obviously went through like six months of revisions, but uh, I wanted to show her a couple things that A, if you put your mind to it, you can do it and and kind of follow through with, with what I said, you know, that I would do. So. Yeah, it seems like you have, I mean, so many years of experiences from the military to being an officer and working in law enforcement that you probably had all these stories that are just in your head of people you've met or encountered along the way. So tell me a little bit about your career path after Northeastern. So you studied criminal justice then? I did, yeah. I was a, a CJ major at Northeastern. After graduating, I'd done the ROTC program for the last couple of years. And then I was originally commissioned into the infantry with the Army. And then I, long story short, I transferred over to the Navy to go into their uh, one of their programs over there. And then uh, did my four years. And when I got out, I was kind of in that what do I do now phase? And so I got a master's degree in teaching and education. At the time I was married to a, a military officer and we got stationed in Texas at Fort Hood. And the teaching gig I had lined up fell apart. I ended up in a saying, I'll go back to my original degree. I always wanted to do the police thing. And, and that's where I started my law enforcement career out there and did just shy of four years out in uh, Georgetown, Texas, just outside of Austin, which was a, a unique experience. And that kind of started it right there. That's how it it began. Yeah. 
And so um, I actually, I did, we just connected last week and I did order your first book. I haven't had a chance oh, to good. open it yet, but I'm, I'm looking forward <laughs> to reading it, especially after we're talking now. But I know that your first crime fiction series is centered around Detective Nick Lawrence. And where did you find your inspiration for this character? Is it based on you at all? I'd love to hear a little more about that. Okay, so in book one, there's three three main characters. So there's a there's Nick, who's with the FBI. There's another guy, Declan, who's uh, who's a narc detective who goes through some bad stuff, a former special operator. And then there's the terrorist. So each of them have like a little piece of me and they're from different periods of my life. So the book one for me was like a huge cathartic experience because, and which is scary. And I had a, a good friend of mine who's a writer who said, it's dangerous when you put yourself into your characters because then if someone craps on your book, they're really they're really crapping on you. You know, like you, it's a lot harder to disassociate and say, hey, look, it's just a character. Whereas I remember, uh, you know, my wife says she knows that there's certain aspects of the characters or things they've gone through that she knows that are, are me. My mom actually called me after reading the book and said something like, you know, Brian, I I didn't know all this about you, you know, and I thought to myself, it's not a true story. I mean, it's a fictional book. But yeah, so each of them are from different pieces of my life. And I'd say the investigator side of Nick is kind of where I was at at the latter stage of my law enforcement career. And and so I try to tie in his kind of way of approaching case and take some liberties, obviously, with the thriller side of it. But yeah, that's kind of where it all came together, I guess. And that's where his, so his driving point is ability and a tenacious uh, nature with investigations, which is funny because everyone, they, they like Nick. They think he's, for the first few books, they're like, oh, he's okay. But they love the Declan character mm-hmm. and it's actually going to launch Declan. But I felt it was too close to like the Jack Reacher style or this like just rogue superhero-esque ex-special opera. I just didn't want that guy to lead the charge. And But he's in every book because mm-hmm. I like him. And I was going to do a spinoff series and it may happen down the road. I actually kind of penned out some of it, but just left it. It, it. They're all a little bits and pieces of me. And people would say to me after reading some of the books, they're like, oh my God, that's so-and-so. Or my God, you you nailed lieutenant whatever and oh my god i can't believe you you wrote and i'm like they're really not they're not any one person and sometimes they're a hybrid of many people and sometimes they're just figments of how i wish people would be or you know mm-hmm. or how i envision you know the, them to be and so i guess that's where i kind of play with it a little bit but there is no one single person in there that is anyone else out there although people try to Yes. It's who, funny. Who, who it? I read uh, I read some of your reviews on yeah. Amazon and Goodreads to get a sense of your writing before I could have had a chance to read. And right. I was seeing a common theme that people loved your character development. You have great reviews. Everyone's saying that the stories, the characters that you're building are so vivid. And I'm wondering, do you find that it's because you have your experience in law enforcement? And do you think other writers in this genre are able to capture it in the same way, especially if you're writing, you're writing villains or criminals, you're writing detectives and investigators, cops. And I feel like there are a lot of narratives in our society now that I wonder if are you, it's fiction, but are you trying to capture that in a way that's more authentic? So I, I hope, right. That was, mm-hmm. that was my vision when I set out to write it. And, and I know there's been other cops that have written in this genre before. There's not a lot of them, not as many as you would think, mm-hmm. I guess. 
And some of the big dominant names in the traditional side that are out there that are dominant have never stepped foot inside a cruiser, except for maybe a ride along. Mm-hmm. And the experience, and the unique thing too, is I've done it in both like out West where things are, you know, it's Texas. So things are awesome and, and different. And then I did it in Connecticut at two different departments, very different dynamics, but there's a lot of things that are innately the same in law enforcement. And so I think when I create the characters, at least from an investigator standpoint, or even if it's a small scene and there's some law enforcement guys, I think I can make them very real without boring the reader. Because I I personally, I try to write how I read, and I hate when someone just goes on and on and spends a chapter uh, talking about like a workout or something. (laughs) I just waste my time. So I try not to waste the reader's time. I try to create people that are real. And And the beautiful thing about like law enforcement, as opposed to any other job, I've done is I get to go into their homes on a daily basis for like the 11 years I served in law enforcement. I went and I served in a variety of capacities, you know, and even on the patrol level, you end up inside so many varieties of homes at at various states of chaos. And it's very easy then to recreate some of that and then add like a thriller twist. Mm -hmm. But I think it gives some authenticity, like, Someone uh, recently had read my latest book, which is uh, Murder 8. It's about like the fentanyl and, and heroin epidemic. He would comment, he's like, the portrayal of this uh, junkie was so humanizing and so powerful, even though he's only in a story for a very brief window of time. And because I, I know junkies mm-hmm. and I was around people that abuse drugs on a daily basis and, and got to know them as human beings. And I think that that's the difference that I can bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hopefully. And in some of the other, I don't know if you read your reviews, I'm assuming you do, but another common theme I've seen is that you write these page turners, which you were saying you don't want to waste people's time. And I'm curious, like you, you write like you read, but how do you create that effect, that page turner effect that we all talk about when we have that book we just can't put down? Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. So I, I do. I, if I get bored with a book, and I think it was Stephen King, and I don't want to quote him, but he said something like, give an author, like somebody said it. I'll, I won't say it's Stephen King uh, unless he wants to hang out or something and, and take a selfie with me. But he uh, or another great writer said, give a, an author 40 pages. If they don't sell the book to you in that 40 pages, then move on to somebody else, right? Like I hate when I read reviews, they're like, oh my God, I was tortured to read this book. Like, no, and listen, I've read books where I started, I'm like, ah, oh, it's just not me. It's not my thing. And I move on. But what I try to do is I try to make it so that when you finish the last page or the last paragraph in a, in a chapter, I forced you to just start, just get a taste of the next chapter just before you go to bed. And what I try to do at the beginning of that chapter is make it so involved and so fast moving that you're like, you know what, I'll <laughs> just finish this. And then so I've had people, which is it's, it's probably the best compliment, like a thriller writer can have is it like I I was going to read like a chapter and I read 10 or I was up till 3 a.m. Thanks a lot. I missed work today or something Mm -hmm. like that. Right. And every once in a while I'll get like a a message on on Facebook or someone will post a review that says that. I'm like, good. I'm glad I ruined somebody's night. (laughs) And I'm but the the trick of it is. So if there's anyone listening, that's like a craft person. I'm by no means the master. But I'm saying what I've learned from some great writers is that that last sentence or that last little bit in the end of a chapter should, should just tweak the reader's interest enough to just go forward, right? You don't just want to end a chapter because that piece is over. 
And then when you launch it, I treat every new chapter like the beginning of a book. Mm -hmm. And so I try to make that first paragraph make you want more of that particular scene and just grab them going out, grab them going in. And the next thing you know, you weave them into your story so deeply that by the end of it, they they blow through your book in, in one day sitting, which just sucks for me because that means I have to churn, you know, and they're gonna be like, mm -hmm. when's the next, right? But but in the bigger scheme, I think it it pleases readers, you know? Yeah, and I'm wondering, I mean, there's such a craft to writing. I think a lot of people say they'd love to publish a book. You've published several. <laughs> and right. you started this because your daughter said you should put pen to paper and write it. Have you always been a writer? Have you always had this part like from school or growing up that you like to write and that you've felt the need to hone in on this craft? So I, I would love that. I love that story because I see so much. I, I, so I study authors too, right? Cause mm -hmm. I, and I look at their bios and I'm like, they, most of them always say like, ah, oh, they had to take the pencil away from me. You know, like <laughs> I was, I, I was right. I wrote my first book when I was 11. It was two pages long. It was amazing. Right. And I, I wish I had that story to tell you, but I was a dysfunctional reader in the sense that like, I, I didn't know that I needed glasses for reading right at a young age. So I was always in like back back when we classified kids, right? Like I was in like the Bumblebee reading group, and the other kids were like the Hornets and Yellow Jack, obviously faster bees. I know, I know, I knew what they were telling me, right? And so it kind of like I just kind of backed off, and then I fell in love with reading in sixth grade when I found S.E. Hinton's The Outsiders, and I remember I couldn't put it down, and it painted such a visual like story. And then I will be honest with you, when I was at Northeastern, my roommates will tell you, I missed a lot of class because I was deep into a Clancy novel. I spent more of my time reading at the Fens than I did sitting in a classroom. Sometimes I showed up after a semester and walked in. <laughs> I'm sure the professor would love to hear this, like with my flip-flops. And sometimes, you know, I'd zip up my windbreaker because I forgot a shirt and I would be like, oh my God, this is the final exam. I thought I was coming for the review. But I've been reading, you know, like I I got hooked. I kind of majored in Clancy and minored in like Michael Crichton when I was in college. Mm -hmm. But I still graduated, which was a win. <laughs> so, okay, so one thing I was always was uh, an artist. So uh, I was uh, more of a cartoonist, right? Mm -hmm. So I even, I paid for my rent in Texas when I was a cop. I paid for my rent being the editorial cartoonist for the local paper. Oh, wow. And so <laughs> I, I did that. I mean... It, Rent in Texas is pretty cheap if you're a cop. They have a lot of programs out there. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I was making a killing, but it was enough to pay the rent. It was super fun. And I started doing – I've always done art. And I guess for me, maybe that's why why there's been a good following for those to do read it is I'm a visual storyteller. So I'm a visual person by nature as an artist. So I kind of picture things so that when I try to create a scene – I want you to move through that scene, but I want you to kind of feel it, smell it, see it, mm -hmm. as opposed to get too literary and too deep and too washed away and whatever. I, I don't try to impress people, you know, I just try to write clean and, and give them a good image and then move on. And that, so I guess that's where the benefit of art came is, and I originally wanted to do children's, I have three children's books I've never formalized but i've had for years and i had the art ready to go it's just i just put it aside and put it aside and and then this thing came about and it's just been its own little journey so far and i love it so yeah and what has been your greatest challenge so far as an author 
I mean, I would say the publishing hurdle was huge. Mm. So when I started out trying to get my work published, I had, and every writer, I mean, if you go and look at any of the big successful names in, in literature, have this story of rejection, right? And the way the market was designed in the traditional publishing houses, um, you, you can't no longer, you can no longer submit directly to them. So whatever your work is. So back in the day, you could and you get rejected by publishers. Now you need an agent. And then so the agents have become like this middleman, but a needed middleman. And then you have to pump out to the agents and it's they decide sometimes in a paragraph whether your work is worthy of of publication. And then once that it's just a long process. So I was getting hammered with rejection letters. Uh, we liked it. We don't, it's not fit or whatever, you know, they're nice because they're literature people. <laughs> and, um, but they were all just, you know, some of them form letters, some of them personal, but I was just like, I got to a point of frustration. I said, you know, I had read some stuff. I had a friend that had independently published his work. And so I said, you know what, I'll swing the bat. And I first did the indie publishing thing back in March of last year. And it was originally titled The Camel's Back, which is now The Kill List. And I, I really didn't know what I was doing. I had no, I thought, oh, I, I know like a few people on Facebook. I got this. I, I took a course on marketing and it, I quickly found that I was like drowning. <laughs> like I just, it was fun and it was like, it was okay. And then I was working full time as a detective while I was writing. And I had also read that James Patterson popped out three books in a year while he was CEO of an ad firm. And I said, you know, if that dude can do it. So I wrote three books that year. I published three. I finished the last one in November. But in that interim, I connected with some very amazing indie authors. And I saw the craft and the level of effort that they put in and the hiring of editors and all this. So I teamed up with some of them and they really guided me through. And then recently I joined forces with Severn River Publishing, SRP. And they have been amazing for me as far as they rebranded me, tweaked some things, and their marketing has been amazing. And and now they've really helped me hone this new series that's coming out in October. And so it's been a journey. So it was a huge leap. And it's I, I gotta tell you, anybody that's written, whether it's traditionally published people, and I have friends on both sides of the fence or independently published, when you put that work out in the world for everyone to judge it is scary right because like you know it's it's a different kind of fear like i faced like true fear you know mm -hmm. like I, i've been in some strange situations some some life and death and and it's a totally different like level of butterflies and mm -hmm. and at first i i said i'm not going to read the reviews and i started reading reviews and now i read every review that's posted and i've heard differing opinions on that reason i do it a, I, I like the ego stroke every once in a while, <laughs> but it, even on the reviews that, that aren't favorable, if they're crafted, if they're written with some uh, insight, then what I try to do is I try to take that into the next story and and maybe not write to them, but I don't want to see a pattern of that, right? So I try to address it early on. So Yeah, we, we talk really... a lot about lifelong learning at Northeastern. We talk about, I think most of the interviews I do and the stories that resonate with people are these kind of self-taught, change your career, and really take that leap of faith and follow a passion. And I think, honestly, it's the most inspiring to people, including myself, when I hear those stories, that you can figure it out and, you, and you're continually improving that craft as well. And so what would you say is what what's your main lesson learned from, you know, pivoting your career from military to teaching to police officer and to writing? And as it goes, what 
what lessons, what tips would you have for others who are also pivoting? I, I would say, uh, honestly, so I, I had this really great conversation with a guy on an airplane ride to, to visit my mom recently. And he, we're sitting there on Southwest doing the cheap flight down, coupon me a beer. And uh, we got to talking and I was telling him, I'm really nervous because I had just made the decision to leave law enforcement to pursue writing. And I asked him what he did, and, and he was the head of Rawlings Sporting Goods, which is a, a massive you know company, made a lot of money. And 19 years ago, he left that position to strike out on his own. And he told me his story. And the one thing, the big thing I took away from it was there's a lot of, there's a lot of naysayers out there that will tell you, oh, my God, you're crazy. And he said everyone told him he was crazy. He was leaving like a cush financial gig he was doing to strike out his own and, and he had burned through a lot of his savings and he'd done all this and and he stayed the course when it was darkest and now he is super successful even though he still rides southwest which is also <laughs> humbling right yeah. um and i look at that and i've talked to a lot of authors in the same boat right so to shift to, to my thing where i was really nervous about making the leap from law enforcement to writing and a lot of people even to this day you know i talked to some of my buddies and are always like dude you're crazy but I know what 19 more years or 10 more years on the job got me or whatever, however long I was going to do. I don't know what doing what I'm doing now is going to mean for me and my family. And so I'm willing to take the risk. And I'm going to tell you, nobody goes into their grave saying, God, I wish I would worked like three more years in that in that same job. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they go to the grave with this list of their to do list berries with them. And mm-hmm. I will not be that person. And if I fail, I will fail hard, but I will do it my way. And I think that, you know, risk versus reward. I mean, obviously put put things into perspective. Make sure you keep your lights on in your house and things like that. But like everybody that's ever achieved has has had to take that leap. You, nobody gets the easy walk. Right. Mm-hmm. And so and a lot of people aren't willing to do it, to be honest with you. There are a lot of great people out there that have great ideas. They could do it. But it's just too scary to step out of the comfort zone. But I've spent my whole life uncomfortable, so this is just, <laughs> just it's like a Tuesday, another another Tuesday, although it's Wednesday, whatever. Th- nope, it's Thursday. See, I lost <laughs> track of the days. It's all falling apart. That's the one thing I can't keep track of now that I'm writing. I have no idea what day it is anymore. You're in the zone, uh, <laughs> writing away. <laughs> and so because this is the Northeastern Next podcast, we always yeah. ask, what's next for you? I know you have an exciting new series coming out. Tell me a little bit about that. Okay, so uh, it's it's wholly set in Boston, which is fantastic. My father was born and raised in Dorchester. My mom grew up in like the Malden, Melrose area. And so I'm, I'm Boston at heart, even though I've moved around my whole life. I have you know, nowhere I really go home. But when people ask me, that's where I would feel most at home. I mean, people can't see you, but you're wearing the Boston Red Sox cap right I, now. So. And it's, it's very well beaten in. <laughs> yes. It's... it's, it's uh, it's about, it probably needs a replacement, but you know, um, all good hats. I used to have a Northeastern hat, but I lost it in a, uh, a takedown that ended badly. But uh, on the street, I was doing like some, uh, I'll say undercover work, but plain clothes. And I lost my hat to evidence. So anyway. Maybe we can um, send you a new one. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. So what's next? Is So the story is, it's a Boston crime thriller series. Falls a uh, Dorchester kid who comes up the, the ranks, Golden Gloves uh, champ, who becomes a homicide detective after some some hardship with the Boston PD, and uh, he catches a case of a of a, a dead thirteen year old girl 
in uh, a shallow grave in the city of neighborhood of Dorchester, not too far from his own home. And then it kind of just spirals into a much bigger case and, and some good, I think some good twists. It's my best work to date, to be honest with you. I mean, I love my Nick series. Absolutely love it. Had a lot of fun. Actually, Murder 8, I make, there's a whole Northeastern scene, mm. uh, Northeastern party scene, whatever. Uh, I don't want to ruin it, but girl ends up dead. But oh, anyway, no. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I get to write places I love and, and obviously I love Boston. I love Northeastern. And, um, uh, so I, I kind of put it all together and, and I created this, this character and I love the city. And so even if I don't always get to, to visit and be there or live there anymore by writing it, I stay, I feel like I stay connected, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like I'm there, although the city I know is constantly changing and, and where I used to run and whatever is not, oh, probably doesn't even look the same. I probably get lost running down to the Charles. But so I think this story has some serious legs. The I've already mapped out and begun the second book in the series already. And I have another, I have a side project too with a, another great author. We're doing a co-authoring of a, of a totally new series, female protagonist, kind of like if Jack Reacher was a, a female, mm-hmm. uh, kind of that flow to a story. So I got two projects working at the same time, but the new book is called Murder Board and it, it follows a, a good Irish kid, Michael Kelly. So <laughs> hopefully it'll, it'll resonate. I want to get it in the hands of, uh, good Boston crowd so they can, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's going to be my first hardcover book. So for me, that's a, as an author, that's a huge, like, that's a big step. Like yeah. a lot of authors I know have in, in all walks have, have uh, written sometimes several books, even with the big houses and they, it takes a while to get that. And so it's really nice to, uh, that they're taking that, that leap with this book and it's going to be in like your brick and mortar stores as well as Amazon and some other things. So it, it should be a good thing. That's exciting. And where can people find your books now? And I want to ask for the people who haven't heard of you and your series, what's one thing about your books that you'd want them to know? Okay. Uh, so right now they're Amazon exclusive. It's just the uh, it's the setup for that particular series with the uh, Nick Lawrence series. And what I did with the series was I each book takes on a different current event, mm-hmm. if you will, with twists and turns. So like book one is small town, like soft target terrorist attacks, mm-hmm. right? Book two deals with human trafficking because part of my, the latter two years of my police career, I dealt with with that as well as uh, I was in a child sex crimes unit. So book three is a serial killer thriller kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Book four deals with online issues with young children and then also the school violence, violent extremism in schools, uh, kind of on a large scale terror attack kind of deal. And then book five is obviously the drug trade. So mm-hmm. the cool thing about it for me was I took each little piece of my personal experiences for knowledge base goes and I threw it into like a thriller setting. So I hope when people read it, they, they come away and I've had readers tell me that they come away with a totally new sense of understanding for like you know the the fentanyl epidemic mm-hmm. right uh and heroin epidemic and they also come away with a safety for their kids because i had this in book four there's so much with recruiting online and some things that go on and those are real things that happen so just some you know one of my friends wrote me and said now you know one of your books made me scared to like you know, lock all the doors the other one and now i'm terrified my kids are on tech they're never going to have tech uh, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I'm glad I can ruin some people's nights um, 
I think that's one of the best things about literature, no matter what genre, is that you're you're constantly learning something, even if it's fiction. So it's like you're writing thrillers, but it's based on current events and issues that we all experience. And so it's a neat like perspective switch from, you know, coming from a writer who's been there. So I'm looking forward to reading Kill List. I have it on my night table. I haven't cracked it quite yet, but... I think that's all we have time for today, but I appreciate you telling us about your series and your career journey. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. You can connect with Brian Shea on his website, briancristophershea.com, and get his latest book, Murder Board, at Barnes & Noble or Amazon. This is Megan Kirkbrisson from the Office of Alumni Relations. Please rate, review, and subscribe, and I'll talk to you soon.